Let me begin by just reading to you Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. The Bible reads there, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Basically, this was the scripture that Samuel Truett Cathy uh, volunteered in his classroom when he was in grade three to the teacher who was teaching them. And that particular teacher would always ask one student to submit a text, and, well, a number of students to submit texts of scriptures, and then he would choose one which would then be passed on to the uh, pupils to memorize. And so on that particular occasion, this was the text that uh, Truett gave and they memorized. And consequently, after that, uh, this was one of the most important texts in uh, the whole of uh, his uh, adult life. The book that I'll be quoting from most of the time was written by Truett himself, and it is entitled, How Did You Do It, Truett? And I just want to quickly quote from page one and two. He says there, have you ever eaten a spoonful of lard? What about a cup of sifted flour or a cup of sugar? Or maybe a couple of raw eggs? Probably not. But everybody has enjoyed a delicious cake. The result of mixing of those ingredients together in the right proportion and baking them. When I was a boy, on a rainy Sunday afternoon, I would go into my mother's kitchen to bake a cake, and I learned the importance of having all the right ingredients. If I didn't have a necessary ingredient to complete the cake, I might try a substitute. Sometimes it worked, and sometimes I made a flop. Building a business is like that. It takes all the right ingredients. Everybody in all places of responsibility doing their job. Some people think that a good concept is most important or a good product. Others think it's location or the team or the marketing plan. They are all right. It's all these things and more. Oftentimes, when we experience success at Chick-fil-A, I pat myself on the back and congratulate myself for the accomplishment. Then I remind myself, through it, you didn't do it. God did it along with high-quality people at Chick-fil-A who have great ideas and work extremely hard to make the business successful, and our loyal fans who are just as important to our success.
Well, friends, this is the man that we are considering uh, today, Samuel Truett Cathy. He was born on March the 14th in Eatonton, Georgia, in the United States. His parents were Joseph Benjamin Cathy and Leela James, and they were not well-to-do parents. In fact, primarily due to what was called the Great Depression, his dad, who was an estate and insurance salesman, ended up being broke uh, for the purpose uh, could you please make sure that people are sitting there? Okay, now again I'm being forced to start looking this way. Okay, please. Um, but Archie Fasha also tell them, hey, please, don't be too respectful. Just, you know? Okay, thank you very much. So, uh, as he was um, going through his business, the Great Depression, which is a historical event, what basically happened primarily in the USA, was uh, a, a crash that took place in, um, in the economy of that country, and then it spilled over to other countries as well. It began with uh, the realm of stock, and uh, there was a lot more money that was being dished out than the actual real uh, production taking place. And somewhere along the lines, it becomes evident to all. And when people realize it and then they begin to withdraw their finances, um, it, it causes um, an entire economy to collapse. And that's basically what happened. Uh, it was the sixth of their seven children. And uh, they learned during those very difficult times to be hardworking in order for them to survive. Uh, the mother, who was deeply spiritual, um, ended up renting a boarding house. And in renting it, she then also began to rent out spaces in it to young people and it was that that then kept the family going. She primarily would cook the meals for them and she was a very good cook and that's what made that boarding house very popular to young people. And then she always ensured that uh, uh, the boarders got the food first and then the children would then also participate in cooking and also in serving and then also in um, washing up afterwards. And so they also would eat from there. Truett himself learned something of uh, that hardworking spirit. Um, at the age of eight, he was already selling soft drinks in front of the family house by the roadside. Uh, selling Coca-Cola uh, was the primary drink then. 
And by the time he was 12 years old, he hired himself out to a local newspaper so that he was then distributing newspapers on their behalf to subscribers along a particular route. In fact, he maintained that up to the time he was 19 years old. Let me quickly read uh, from page 4 of uh, this, this book. Um, he says, uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money, so I knew that if I wanted nice things, and I did, the only way to get those things was to work hard and save money. And he says, I explain that simple formula for success whenever someone asks me, how did you do it through it? So that's what he did, and therefore he grew up knowing what it meant to be a hard worker. The school he went to was simply called Boys High School in Atlanta, and he never went beyond high school. In other words, he never went to college, and he never went to university. Um, when the Second World War came around, he was part of the, um, the army. He volunteered in the U.S. Army. Now, uh, Truett loved cooking. He loved baking. And it is something that he particularly learned from his mother as she was running this uh, boarding house. So let me just quickly read again what it says here. To the question, how did you learn to cook? His answer was quite simple. At my mother's side. Mother ran a boarding house when I was growing up, and every afternoon she cooked supper for our boarders. My sisters were all good cooks too. My jobs in the kitchen were to shuck corn, shell, peas, set the table, and wash dishes. Boarders loved mother and loved her food. She never used a recipe. She had cooked for so long, she relied on instinct when it came to ingredients. He says, I watched her and helped her. And sometimes on Sunday afternoons, she let me bake a cake by myself. Of course, I didn't have her experience in the kitchen, so I followed the recipe carefully, as long as we had all the ingredients. When we didn't, I would ask mother, and she would explain how I could substitute something we had in the kitchen for a missing ingredient. Now, all this will come in very handy as you then come into the restaurant business. So it was out of this experience in the kitchen, in his mother's boarding house, that Truett's lifelong dream was to own a restaurant. Because he just loved serving people from the kitchen and seeing their faces glow with uh, joy as a result of that. So when he came back after the Second World War, which ended in 1945, the first thing he did was to sell his new Chevrolet. And then 
try and sell a few more things and finally together with his brother they put together four thousand dollars his brother's name was ben and then they borrowed six thousand six hundred dollars and therefore with ten thousand six hundred dollars they bought some land just next door to a new uh, ford plant where they were basically assembling ford vehicles so they bought land and then with the little money that they had they put up this small restaurant very very small restaurant and when i say they put up yes they hired a contractor but because they did not have enough money they literally worked with the contractor themselves so they dug the the trenches they poured the concrete and they participated in um, putting up that structure and the restaurant was called the dwarf grill and that name dwarf had to do with the fact that it was extremely small it only had enough spaces for 10 stools and about two or so tables so it was a, a very uh, small enterprise and uh, um, as i said it was next to the ford assembly plant and also to delta airlines headquarters on may 23rd 1946 they opened doors and uh, on the very first day their income was 58 dollars that's how much they made on their first day um, Truett was 25 years old and still single so he was a very very uh, young man at that stage and so he could afford he says he could afford the risk because there was no family uh, that was going to uh, end up putting in hard times so what these two brothers did was that the, the the dwarf because the assembly plant functions 24 hours a day so what they did is they kept this their restaurant open 24 hours a day they simply divided out the shifts so Ben would handle 12 hours and then uh, Truett would also handle 12 hours. But he says that often, uh, because there was so much work, they would actually go beyond uh, 12 hours each. And again, he was a bachelor, so all he did was very close to the little restaurant. That's where he was renting a room, and that's where he was actually staying so he would end up doing in fact more hours and then just go and sleep collapse come back into the restaurant uh then the the next day and so on sadly a year later ben died in a plane crash um a small plane together with another brother of theirs and so Truett was left alone to now manage this uh, restaurant. And uh, uh, he did so quite uh, effectively that by 1951, they were able to open a second restaurant. And all that that did was to make him work harder and harder. So he says... For 21 years before I opened 
the first Chick-fil-A restaurant, I, I operated the Dwarf House, so they changed it from Dwarf Grill to Dwarf House restaurant in Hebville, Georgia. Scrambling eggs, flipping hamburgers. In other words, it was actually in the kitchen doing the hard work. The success of my own restaurant fulfilled my childhood expectations of generating enough income to take care of my family. We'll come to his marriage uh, shortly. I loved my customers and the people who worked with me. And if I had never built another restaurant, I think I would have been satisfied. The Dwarf House generated enough income for us to live comfortably on our 262-acre farm south of Atlanta. So we'll come to that as well when we come to the family. Um, perhaps let me go to the family now, and then we will come to the Chick-fil-A restaurant and the way it was born. So in 1948, which is now two years after the starting of uh, his restaurant business and one year after the death of his brother, on September 19, Truett married Jeanette McNeil. They had met in uh, the West End Baptist Church in Atlanta when Truett was only eight years old and uh, Jeanette was seven. And he says it was love at first sight. <laughs> yeah, they, they married, as I said, in 1948 and remained married and for 65 years until he died in 2014 and then she died the following year. Um, so their meeting was first of all in 1930 but out of that they then basically remained friends for 18 years. So it wasn't until 1948 itself that he proposed marriage to her and they got married. Jeanette immediately threw her weight into helping Truett with his um, um, restaurant business. And as the business grew, that's how they were able to buy this farm, 262 acres of land south of Atlanta. And God blessed them with three children. Dan was the eldest, who is now the chief executive and chairman of Chick-fil-A. Don was the second born, and then God also gave them a daughter by the name of uh, Trudy. By the way, that's them in their old age, uh, showing their love for each other as they were drinking together from uh, uh, a Chick-fil-A drink there. So immediately after that, as the children were growing, um, Truett and Jeanette labored hard 
to make sure that their children learned the discipline of hard work. And uh, I'll just again quote from here. This is one of uh, their children, uh, Don, testifying. He says, when dad came home from work and he worked a 10 or 12 hour work day. In other words, if he went in at 8, he came out at 8 p.m. He got us out there to help him put up barbed wire fence or hole an acre garden. So we got out there and got into gardening. He wanted us to learn the importance of hard work. And at the same time, the physical labor helped him get rid of stress. So that's the input with respect to developing children who became hard workers. And as they grew up, uh, he formally employed them into his restaurant business. So they were actually on salaries. They were employees, and they would be working in the family business. And even later on, when um, they launched out into the Chick-fil-A business, uh, Jeanette remained very supportive to his... Um, his enterprises, and a number of them I'll come and mention in due season. Uh, Jeanette was a very spiritual and godly wife, and uh, one of the things that she always ensured, even from the very beginning of their marriage, was tithing. That as they earned money, she ensured that her husband tithed um, from their income and was a discipline she had learned from elementary school. Um, in due season, born out, partly born out of her boarding uh, facility um, experience, they went into um, orphan care. And I will come uh, back to that in due season, because they opened up a number of orphanages across America and raised quite a number of children. In fact, that picture is him with a number of the orphans uh, that they had uh, brought up. But we'll skip that for now. <clears throat> so um, we still, let me just make sure I'm keeping my timing right. Okay. So Truett was now in running two restaurants. He was now a married man with three children uh, on a farm, raising them. Um, how did he then go into the famous chicken sandwich? How did he end up there? Basically, what happened was that as he was working in the kitchen, he really wanted to um, develop the, the best possible, let's use the word, you know, hamburger, because it was the big thing in those days, um, so that the, the cooking was just right. And one of the things that he, 
he always frustrated him was that he didn't want the, the cooking to be overdone, neither did he want it to be less than done. But whenever there was bones in the beef, he found that whereas on the outside, he would be very happy with the way it was cooked. Every so often, the customers would come back with a complaint that there was still blood, especially near the bone. And so, to cook it to the point where the blood wasn't there, it would be overcooked and he didn't like it. So he got to the point where he decided, okay, I'm going to, to prepare meat without bones. So that was the first step in getting rid of bones in what he was cooking. And he found that it cooked better that way. It was more uniform on the outside as well as on the inside. But to go a little further, he decided, let me go more into chickens instead of beef. And um, he, he found out that uh, the Delta Airlines would normally prepare the food. Remember, Delta was just across from where he was running his restaurant. They would prepare uh, food on flights. And when they would prepare their food, they, they had to cut in such a way that it fitted, those of you who've flown a little bit, you know, it fitted into their trays and those little things that they would put there. And then they would get rid of the remaining um, pieces. So he went into negotiations with them so that they would then sell him what they obviously were keen to get rid of. And so when they sold that to him, he then began doing trials on those uh, chickens in order to see how he could improve their, um, uh, their test. And w what he was doing is that he would try various recipes. Now, initially, uh, one of the difficulties he had with the, the, those chicken pieces was that whereas in, a, in an aeroplane, you wouldn't mind, in fact, you enjoyed having the skin of the, the chicken piece in, on the chicken because that's where a lot of the taste comes from. I think you'll understand that yourselves. But to have a chicken piece inside a sandwich, because he really was wanting to work on the sandwich, which I think I'll talk about in a moment, the, the, the chicken tended to slip off the rest of the piece. So it was again frustrating his customers. Um, I think let me just quickly retrace a little bit as to why the sandwich. What happened as he was running his business was he was seeking to provide the, the workers who were in the assembly plant. And so he noticed how they would be coming from home with lunch boxes prepared by their wives. So he figured, if I could do something better than their wives, they will stop coming with lunch boxes, and then they'll be buying from me. 
That's really the way he worked it out. So obviously, he noticed that they were coming with sandwiches from home, which they would then quickly put together and eat. So he figured, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with the best possible sandwich. And that's how he went from meat or beef, he went to chicken. And then he was uh, experimenting with that. So uh, finally, by the way, he won. <laughs> Most of them stopped coming with food. They were coming to, to his restaurant, getting and then going off to work. But then, so he figured, okay, I, I need to get rid of the skin. So when he got rid of the skin on the chicken, the problem was they were, it was now less tasty. So he now was trying to figure out how can I replace that, the taste in the skin with something else. And that's how he was working with, with different recipes and different seasonings and so on. And it took him years to finally get it right. And what he would do is he would give free samples to his, uh, his customers and would ask for an honest opinion. An honest opinion. Is this better than this? And so on. And he would be sampling and sampling. Um, let me quote from uh, this book where he, he talks about this. He says... Um, one of the first things I learned in the restaurant business many years before I started working with boneless chicken breasts was to find out what my customers wanted, then provide it to them. He says today it's called consumer research. So when I tried various ways of preparing the boneless, skinless chicken breasts, I always offered samples to customers and asked for their opinion. I tried a lot of different seasonings, and this time I changed the recipe, I asked customers how they liked it and what they thought I might change to make it better. Now listen to this statement. After a couple of years experimenting, not a few weeks, not a few months, but years of experimenting, I was now using more than 20 ingredients. I wanted the flavor to be unique and difficult for somebody to copy. Unique and different from, for somebody to copy. And then that's when he talked about, uh, I knew I wanted a sandwich because many of our customers were workers from all three shifts at the nearby Ford assembly plant and from Delta Airlines headquarters. They had to eat quickly and get back to work. So after a number of years of doing that, he replaced mayonnaise with butter and then added two pickles, two pickles. and uh, including the seasonings, that was the winning formula. 
he recalls the day when he gave that to the customers and they all went aha this is it and he thought to himself very well now i can market this sandwich uh, then now our friends in the studio have you gotten rid of the the picture i gave you last weekend guys in the studio of that chicken sandwich you are giving me billy graham it's not the one that was uh, <laughs> the sandwich i gave it to you last sunday last sunday i gave it to you the the sandwich please check on your computer there and flash it because that's the one people are supposed to be looking at uh, we'll come to Billy Graham later. So the next task he had was to give that sandwich a name and uh, patent it as a trademark. You know, that way people cannot copy, otherwise they get into trouble and so on with the law. So he, he went from chicken he knew that the name had to be well they had advised him that for you to have a trademark as a name it had to be unique you know it, it, so he began with chicken fillet because in fact it's fillet actually but you know there's a t at the end uh, because that's what it was it was a a fillet of a chicken um and then he was advised that that was uh, a little too long and so what he did was he removed he shortened it to chick so it became chick fillet and then the more he thought about it fillet was too common as well so he needed to find a way to rephrase it and one day as he was thinking about it and toying with it in his mind he thought you know what aha there it is there it is the, that's a little thing that he was inventing he thought okay since I want excellence, why don't I think in terms of grade A? Because grade A is the highest grade. And therefore, I will say, feel A. And it still sounds like filet. That's it. And so that's how he came up with chick filet as uh, the name and uh, the lawyers that he was working with said yeah this is totally unique and therefore we can register it and that's how uh, the chick filet sandwich that you are currently looking at came into being he then hired some designers for them to uh, design the logo and so that was uh, designed and everything came out in 1967 and uh, uh, well, the design came out in 1967 finally um, it, and it's been the same since it was designed except for just one part of it which you will not notice but it's, it's got the head of a chicken and at one time the, the, the mouth of the chicken was open and now it's closed that's the only thing so you wouldn't even notice it at all but it's remained the same logo ever since so now that he had his sandwich the famous uh, chick-fil-a sandwich it was registered nobody 
could uh, reproduce it. It was even difficult to reproduce anyway because the formulas of his seasonings were the secret that he kept. Um, he then, in 1964, took it to the exhibition of the Southeastern Restaurant Trade Association. In other words, a lot of uh, restaurant owners came to exhibit that which they had in order to invest into various businesses and so on. And he took the Chick-fil-A sandwich there. And as he offered samples to various restaurants, 50 restaurants, rather more than 50 restaurants and hotels made orders to start selling his sandwich. So still running his restaurants, dwarf restaurants, two of them. On the other now, the sandwich was now being sold in various restaurants. However, as Truett would now go to the various restaurants and hotels to eat his sandwich to make sure that they're maintaining that quality, he was very unhappy. Partly, it's because he, he was a, a stickler when it comes to cleanliness. And so when he was seeing the, the lack of cleanliness where his sandwich was being sold, he just felt, no, this is anti-marketing, my sandwich. And it wasn't just cleanliness in the restaurant itself where people are eating, but also in the kitchen where this was being prepared. But the other disappointment was that in a number of those places, because, you know, he would actually go into the kitchen. He, he was, you know, a, a partner in business with these guys to inspect. He found that they would cook the, the chicken first thing in the morning and then would be selling the sandwiches the whole day. And therefore, by the end of the day, the, the taste was not what he wanted it to be in the sandwich because he preferred that it's being cooked on order and then being given out so that all the taste and nutrients and warmth and everything was in it and so you know that's what finally forced him to start an actual new restaurant called Chick Filet Restaurant in 1967. And it was at instigation of his sister. The, the malls were just being created in the United States. The mall concept where I think we now know what malls are. Eh? You have a lot of shops in one basic structure. And um, so that's when they were starting that in the U.S. And there was an empty one in one corner, an empty shop. And so his sister, who had a sh shop in that mall, said to him, Hey, Truett, why don't you come and establish an actual restaurant here? And so forth. Um, it, it was not known of in those days that there would be restaurants, even in malls, because malls were just beginning. 
So he thought, well, let me give it a shot because he was really being frustrated. And that's the way in which he finally uh, approached the, the more owners that he wanted to put up a restaurant. They were very skeptical um, that you know, people would be in a mall and then wanting to eat at a, at a restaurant there. Um, but he managed to convince them to say, look, let me give it a shot. And finally, he opened his first uh, restaurant in that mall, the Greenbrier Shopping Center <clears throat> in Atlanta. And that's how uh, his uh, uh, Chick-fil-A restaurants began. I will leave the growth to the next session. But I have five more minutes in this session, so let me quickly speak about Truett's spirituality, his spirituality. Uh, first of all, he remained a member of the First Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, uh, for the whole of his life, his adult life. And he was a... A Sunday school teacher. Now, Sunday school in America is just slightly different from our Sunday school because us, when we think of Sunday school, it's very small children. Whereas for our friends, Sunday school was the hour before the, uh, the morning worship service. So that entire, so adult Bible class and children's uh, classes and youth classes and so on are all referred to as Sunday school. And the idea being that is the educational element of uh, uh, the life of the church. So that was a slight modification from what it was in England um, and, and so forth when it was primarily little children. So his class was primarily 13-year-old boys. That's the class. So as they grew older, they left. Others came in and so on. So that particular class is the one he taught for 50 years. So even when his business was taking him everywhere, he made sure that on Sunday he was available in class to teach his 13-year-olds. He was a godly man by personality. In fact, one of the ladies who worked for him the longest uh, worked for him for over 50 years, rather, for over 40 years as a waiter in, in uh, his, his chain of uh, restaurants. But this is what she said in a newspaper article. Now, this is somebody who's worked for you for over 40 years. Eh? So this is not someone you put on your best behavior for for three weeks, over 40 years. An Atlanta newspaper reporter interviewed Zelma when she was about to retire after working, as I said, for over 40 years. And he asked what made her so loyal. And this was her answer. I've never heard Mr. Cathy raise his voice. I don't remember him arguing with anybody. I've never heard him tell somebody to do something. He would ask. He would say, Zelma, would you make me such and such a pie? Is that a problem? In other words, would this be inconvenient to you? 
And then she added, well, you had to do it because he asked so nice. The Bible was his guide in all the decisions that he made. And this will come out a few times as we proceed. And therefore, he took the Lord's day seriously. And thus, all Chick-fil-A restaurants, which he owned, of course, were closed on Sundays so that employees could rest and also go to church. So he refused to sign contracts with mall owners when they insisted on his shops being open seven days a week. He would simply say, sorry, uh, I won't accept that. They also found it difficult because all the shops would be open seven days a week and then there would just be this one shop that's closed. So you understand it just wasn't a good business sense for them. Um, but that's the way he worked. Um, but also, Truett felt that closing on Sunday made a lot of sense uh, for his own testimony to his uh, um, 13-year-olds that he was teaching on Sunday. And uh, he, this is the way he put it. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, obviously it was uh, his business. Finally, we close on Sundays because we believe it is the right thing to do. America has changed dramatically since I started out in the restaurant business in 1946. But principles have not changed. I was teaching Sunday school to 13-year-old boys one week. And I asked, what would you think? If you knew that my cash registers were jingling, now, I think it's only business people like Mr. Boeta would understand cash registers. What it says is, you know, those machines, when, when you are paying, when you pay, they would sort of put in, and then it would, uh, the bottom part would sort of come open like this, and then the person puts in the money and gives you the change and then close. Okay, so those are the cash uh, registers. So he's saying, what would you think if you knew that my cash registers were jingling? In other words, they were active. They're bringing in money. Uh, while I was teaching this lesson to you on observing the Lord's Day. So he's teaching them about the importance of the Lord's Day. One boy answered, I would think you are a hypocrite. <laughs> and he said, that was enough. <laughs> It settled the matter. But then, as it goes on to say later, um, I believe the record has proved us correct. Closing on Sunday turned out to be the best business decision I ever made. And then he said, we generate more sales in our restaurant in six days than many other chains do in seven. So he says, so I tell my restaurant, rather I tell our customers, you eat with us six days a week. And then I give you permission to eat somewhere else on Sunday. Uh, 
But more than that, and I must quickly wrap up, in Chick-fil-A restaurants, he asks employees to attend 30 minutes devotions every week. 30 minutes devotions every week. And whenever a new restaurant was opened, he always asked a pastor in the community to preach a sermon at the grand opening of that new restaurant. And then two quick points. One of them was mentioned by our brother, Mr. Mlewa, here. At their headquarters, and by the way, I have been there a few years ago, and uh, in front of their headquarters, there is a big poster that has Chick-fil-A corporate purpose. So anybody going into their headquarters sees this. And by the way, their headquarters would be the equivalent of, um, trying to think of a building around here. Um, has anybody seen the new Bonanza Hotel somewhere near the airport? Anyone here? Okay. Yeah, those of you who have seen it, that's the way it looks, their headquarters. As you are making your way there and finally you arrive and you see this huge complex, you go, wow! And then the first thing that greets you is this signage, the purpose, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us. And notice the first few words, to glorify God. And then, number two, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And you'll notice nothing is said there about profit. He will talk about it a little later. A final quote, and I must sit down, is uh, what took place, and I trust it continues even after he has died, at their management retreats. When we get away for a two or three days business retreat, we begin by sharing personal concerns and praying together. These are top managers, the operators, and those at headquarters from their different branches, and by the, by the time he died, there were about 1,800 of them. And we prayed for God's guidance. It is important to, it is important bonding time that says we are in one accord in what we do. We don't have conflict in our executive committee meetings. That doesn't mean we don't disagree. Then he adds, he's got a lot of humor. If you have two people who agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. Okay, so, you know, they disagreed, but there, were, there, were, there wasn't conflict. In other words, when you went for their company management retreats, it was like going for a church officer's retreat at your church. That's why I want to end for the first session. 
And as we said, it was primarily his earlier years. And then I will take a break now. And when I come back, we will go into the second session. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for that sharing. Um, to be born in abject poverty, to be raised during depression, and uh, to be called a self-made billionaire, surely there is a lot that we can learn. Uh, because time is not with us, Pastor has just given us an overview of the man's life. Uh, now, certain nuances, what Truett did, can only come out if you ask probing questions. So this is an opportunity to ask those questions. That, and I'm sure pastor is prepared, but he can't just give everything that he has prepared because of limited time. So. This is a time you can ask those questions. And like we said, during this 15-minute uh, question period, you can uh, buy some, there are some budding entrepreneurs outside from SCU uh, who want to become like Truett as well. So, oh yeah, sorry, they're in the corner. So you can walk over there, buy your coffee and whatever it is they're selling. But you can also ask questions uh, that can help fill in uh, some of the gaps that you might have. So questions uh, for Pastor. Yes, Elder uh, Bot. Morning, Pastor. Thank you very much for that. Just a, an interesting matter. You say there's 1,800, I think, executives or something, or workers or whatever. I'm not sure. But in terms of the the staff complement, let's call it that, or the employees, is it a deliberate policy to employ Christians? Are these Christians, or is it they just employ everybody? And then is it therefore a forcing matter to take part in devotions or take part in the philosophy of the company, therefore? Just, first of all, I, the question is, uh, was it his company policy to only employ Christians? And then number two, um, was it therefore forcing people to, uh, to attend these devotions? Uh, that's the, the first part of the question I'll come and handle, because in the next session, I will be dealing with um, uh, uh, through it as a businessman. And so the, 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 his business philosophy will be part of it. Um, but let's deal with the second, since I've touched on that. Uh, the second is that no. Um, again, he franchised out these restaurants. So he had no real control on what was happening there. So the, the statement is that he asked employees to uh, attend these uh, devotions. Um, but also, as we shall go on to see, 
his franchising out of the restaurants was not based on money. It, it, in fact, he literally gave them out free. The franchising was literally free. Uh, you know, for a businessman to be asked to pay $5,000 to a franchise is basically like me asking you to give me 100 kwacha uh, to start running my car, you know, free of charge. Uh, so, uh, there was a deliberate hand-picking of individuals who ran these uh, restaurants, and then um, both them and their employees, the issue was that they shared the same values. That was the key, to share the same values. So obviously anybody who is not interested in Christianity and the principles of the Christian faith who is not likely to, first of all, get employed, but assuming the person is employed, they're not likely to last because of the fact that the, the entire atmosphere there was spiritual and godly and so forth. Okay, good. Any other questions uh, before I take my seat? All right. Oh, there's one there. Morning, Pastor. Morning. I, I heard you say he died in 2014. 2014, yes. Oh, as 2020. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that's so we're talking about uh, uh, eight years ago. Oh, at what age? 92 or 93. Yeah. Yeah. When he was 85, you, you, he, he, he wrote saying the best years are ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had quite a sense of humor. Okay, there's somebody there. Uh, I came in quite late, but just the, the last page which I, which I found, uh, you talked of him. Uh, so remember the mask, I can hardly hear, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm saying uh, I came in late, but found the last part, which was talking about him uh, having fertilized uh, a Sunday, and that his shop wouldn't open on, on Sundays. Uh, most uh, uh, business uh, personnel or people that generate their, their, their own business, uh, every minute and second counts. And how did he strike a balance between, even, even on Sunday, most uh, entrepreneurs uh, count that to be money. How did he manage to fertilize Sunday and ensure that uh, his outlets were not opening on, on, on Sundays, knowing that he was missing out, obviously, on accumulating more wealth from, from, from sales if he closed on, on Sunday. Others would maybe just uh, open maybe in the morning, then afternoons they would, they would do business because there have other competitors in the market. So how did he strike a balance just on a, on a, on a Sunday? Because most uh, entrepreneurs, uh, every, every minute and second counts. So the whole day is, is quite a huge Maybe uh, you lose a lot. Yeah, again, the first thing I'll deal with when we come into the next session is uh, his business philosophy. And so that's, that's one of the things that I'll definitely touch on. So if you're still not satisfied after the next session, please ask. Okay, thank you. Huh? Yeah, the microphone is there. 
Yeah, I think uh, also the, the, you know, the notion every minute counts, every second counts, that's quite true, you make sales. But it's not true that you make them on Sunday the most. So for instance, for us like ShopRite, I'm interested to know, our best sales days are actually Monday, and then Friday, and then Saturday. And Sunday is one of the least days that we actually make money. So if you're going to make a business decision, it's not necessarily true that you will make money on the public holiday or the Sunday. Not necessarily true. But yes, you do take in sales. That is true. But you've got to count that cost because you take in money, but you're paying out double overtime in Zambia, yeah. for example. You use flexi-timers or use full-timers, up to you. Uh, and then you're paying out all sorts of things that you're doing while you're open. So you've got to think twice about that cost now. In a company like ours, which is secular, obviously the issue of the glory of God is not really the primary motive to worship God on the day. Yeah. But if you're going to be like two at Cathy and you're a Christian, and you work out those numbers, you will see that in fact, maybe not the restaurant, but the rest of the business, Sunday might not actually be a good day to trade. As I say, for us, Monday is the best day, for whatever the reason is, customer behavior, followed by Friday, which is going into the weekend, followed by Saturday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I trust that's been also helpful. Good. Going, 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 gone. Don't worry, after the next session, oh, there's a hand there at the back. But after the next session, I think there will also be Q&A. Yeah, so that we'll, we'll still have opportunities to ask. There's the microphone. There. Uh, good morning, church. Yes. My question is in regards of the starting of the business. We heard that he sold some of his properties. So in case you don't have those properties, and we also heard that he was not married then. So if one is in a couple, in a couple let me say, one is business-minded and the other one is not uh, how do we do this? We heard that he went to uh, get a loan, and we also heard of the sales he made. So how do we uh, harmonize that? Yeah. Yeah, let me quickly say that uh, for your benefit, uh, Credula, normally these seminars used to be the whole day. And immediately after lunch would be group discussions. I think most of you will remember this. And it was usually during group discussions that we had questions like that asked. Because then what you now need is uh, interpersonal wisdom coming in. People like Mr. Botta would be speaking, as he's already doing right now here. Okay. Uh, because me, if you ask me that question, I'm as ignorant as you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me between Genesis 1 and Revelation. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Mr. Botter wants to. Oh, huh? Okay, yeah. So here's another businessman who, who might be able to answer such questions. But that was the benefit. However, we realize that now, because we've got so many seminars now across the year, to now keep this the whole day was going to torture you people. So that's how we've reduced it to half a day. And one of the losses is uh, 
exactly that because I've asked to still maintain three sessions so that I can turn this material into books and then new people can buy the books and other people can buy books, etc., etc. And that's one reason why this is being recorded so that it can end up being books. Okay, so yeah, I wish I had an answer for that, Kadula, but uh, <laughs> people like him will answer and, and so on. Okay, any more on the material given? Okay, thank you. Over to you.